Hey, it's great to be back. Just landed at Chicago Hair International Airport after about a 16-hour trip to the Philippines. And it's great to be home. Speaking of home, I've got Josh driving me. I got Nader camera guy videotaping right now. And we've got our course plan. We're taking 294 South, and we're going to take 88 West, then 355 South, then off on the Hobson Road exit. You know, we've been in this series called The Path where we've been talking about the fact that it's not our intentions that determine our destination, but it's the direction that we take. We know where we're going today shouldn't be a problem, except there are these very large and loud billboards along the way that could distract us. Some of those billboards are, well, frankly, quite dangerous. In a vulnerable moment, if you were to take that certain exit, it would not take you home. It would probably take you someplace you really don't want to be. In this last message in our series, I want to talk about the billboards in our lives, the things that distract us. How do we keep from being distracted and pulled off course? Join me as we look at the story of a fascinating character in the Bible who started down the right path and ended up in the wrong place. So we're all on this journey that we can call life, and we're all heading home if we're followers of Jesus. That is, we're trying to head to that place where eventually we'll be able to see him, meet him, and know him, and uh, experience him in our lives. But there are distractions along the way. Let's call them billboards uh, for the sake of the metaphor. There are these billboards all around us that kind of move us uh, away from where we're trying to get. And it's so easy sometimes to just take that exit and even though sometimes it's meaningless, we get back on again, sometimes we don't get back on again. We get totally off the road and we end up in a destination where we don't belong. Every one of us in this room faces those kinds of moments in our lives when we get distracted from the journey that we're trying to complete. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new believer or if you've been a believer for a long time. You're going to face those distractions what are those distractions in your life right now? What are the billboards that tend to draw your curiosity and your attention and pull you off course? And why does that happen to you and to me? And is there anything we can do to prevent it so that we finish the journey well, we finish the journey strong? That's what we want to talk about in this last message in our series, The Path. In order to help us, we want to look at another character again in the Bible one who is very well known. His story is actually found in the book of Judges. So if you take your Bibles out and slay them open to Judges chapter 14, that would be a great place. Let me tell you about his parents, though. His parents were a barren couple. That meant that they had no children. And one day the angel of the Lord appeared to both the wife and then the husband and said that they were going to have a baby, an unusual baby. And that God was going to use him to begin to deliver the Israelites from their enemy, the Philistines. And this baby was to be a Nazarite, which comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to separate. In other words, he would be separated to God from birth to death. He would keep this vow called the Nazir or the Nazarite vow. It meant, number one, he could never touch or take any strong drink. He was to be intoxicated by God's spirit, not by, not by the, uh, uh, the juice of the vine. He couldn't even eat raisins or grapes. Secondly, he was not allowed to touch any dead thing, not defile himself. He was really set apart for God. And thirdly, as a sign of his vow, he was to never ever shave his head. He was never to cut his hair. He was to be a Nazarite from the birth till death. And the way that God was going to use him 
is that God was going to give him a supernatural strength. And with that supernatural strength, literally the spirit would in the Hebrew rush over him. He would be able to conquer hundreds, even thousands of the Philistine enemy and begin to deliver Israel. At the end of chapter 13, we read some words about Samson's life that are encouraging. He's on his journey. He has his purpose. He is there to serve God, to deliver Israel. And it says in that passage that when her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. Finish it with me, please. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Good news, he's on a good path. God has the potential of using him in a powerful way. But when you get to chapter 14, things change. All of a sudden, Samson becomes distracted. And he takes an exit that he never recovers from. In fact, he takes an exit that will lead him and lead his very head into the lap of a prostitute by the name of Delilah. Where he will, after she bribes and nags and seduces him, reveal the secret of his strength. That is, the hair that has never been cut. And she will sell him out to the Philistines. While he's sleeping in her lap, she will call men in who will come and shave his head. And when he wakes up, he thinks he has strength. But God has removed his strength because he has violated his vow for the third, or he has violated his vow, the sign that he belongs to God, that he's there to serve God. And the Philistines take him and they gouge out both his eyes and turn him into a slave. Now, if you know the story of Samson, you remember that his hair grew back and one day the Philistines were having this festival in their temple that was dedicated to their god Dagon. And all the Philistine rulers were gathered there and they brought Samson in to make sport of him, to have fun with him. And he tells the boy who's leading him to put his hands against the pillars that hold up the roof of the temple. It says there are about 3,000 people who are sitting on the roof who are watching this event. And he prays to God and he asks God to one more time rush over him and to grant him this amazing strength that he might take vengeance for his eyes that the Philistines have removed. And God gives him that strength and he pushes those pillars out and the, and the, and the roof comes crashing down and it kills all those rulers that I imagine all 3,000 people who had been sitting on top of it. But tragically, it also kills Samson. And the last verse of chapter 16 is a sad verse because it talks about his brothers coming to take his body, take it back and bury him. Now I know that God used Samson to in many ways inflict great casualties on the Philistines. But Samson did not experience the way God could have used him if he had been fully compliant and obedient to God. He really missed out on how much God could have blessed him and how much God could have used him if he had just stayed the course, had stayed the path. What is it in Samson's life that caused him to get so easily distracted? It's the same thing that can cause you and me to also get distracted Even as followers of Jesus, no matter how long we've been believers, it's the same thing that can get us into trouble. I want to tell you what it is by reading to you a little bit of another story in Samson's life that starts in chapter 14. I won't read the whole story because of time and because you need to take it home and think it through and digest it as well. But I want to give you a part of it. Chapter 14, verse 1, we know something's wrong. Listen, one day when Samson was in Timnah, One of the Philistine women 
caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Now, please understand, it does not mean, I don't believe it means that God was compelling him to marry a woman that was forbidden to marry a pagan woman. I think what it means that God is saying, you know, even though he's being disobedient, I'll still use this to accomplish my will. Look at verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easy as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother. Hmm, I wonder why. Look what he says in verse 7. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, what's wrong with that passage of Scripture? Those verses, what's going on? He was not supposed to touch anything that was dead, right? But he reaches in there and he defiles himself. And not only does he take it, but he shares it with his parents. and doesn't say where he took it from. I wonder why. What a disappointment his life ends up being. He does not finish well. Why? The same reason why we sometimes don't finish well. The same reason why we too can so easily be distracted From the journey that God has laid out for us. From experiencing God's best for our lives. It's all summed up in one phrase that's repeated twice in the opening verses of chapter 14. It says, the first time the editor says, one of the Philistine women, finish it. Have you ever had your eye caught before? Has something ever caught your eye? I'm not talking about a fish hook and it really hurts, right? We're talking about, whoa, time for a second look. Right? Third look, fourth look, fifth look. Can't keep my eyes off of him, it, her, that. Right? Now, Samson, we have a quote right from him. He says, a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Finish it. Let me ask you a question. What has caught your eye lately? What has caught your eye? I. What has gained your attention? When we began this series, we talked about the principle of the path. We said the principle of the path is simply this. That it's not our intentions that determine our destination. But it's the direction that we take. For instance, if I want to lose weight and get in shape, that if that's my goal, but every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I drive to McDonald's and I have five Quarter pounders with cheese and large fries and a large, mega large chocolate shake, I'm going to get fat and die, right? It doesn't matter that my intention is to be healthy. I'm going to get fat and die because the direction I go is not to the gym, not to health food, but I'm going to food that's going to kill me. 
It's not our intentions that determine our destination. It's the direction we take. But here's the question that we've not really answered in this series. Kind of the last one we're going to answer. Who or what determines our direction? So that's easy. We, we choose our direction. That's true. But what causes you and me to choose a particular direction? And the answer for us is attraction. Whatever attracts us. She has caught my eye. I am attracted to her is what Samson is saying. I'm going along in life and this billboard attracts me. Now in Samson's case, he's attracted by godless pagan women, a prostitute like Delilah. That's what attracts him and gets him in big trouble. I'm not saying attraction is necessarily wrong. But I am saying to you, there are a lot of fatal attractions out there in life that you and I are going to encounter. What right now in your life is attracting you? Or should we say, distracting you? You see, whatever attracts us gets our attention. And whatever gets our attention determines our direction, which leads us to our destination. What right now might be pulling you off course, away from God, and toward a direction that may end up causing you pain and loss? To answer that question, I want you to imagine for just a minute that there's this blank uh, billboard in your life, in your peripheral vision. What is on that billboard that might be drawing your attention right now? Is it some person, a man or a woman? And if you're married and already have a spouse and that man or the woman is not your spouse, that could be a really bad attraction, right? And you need to make sure you don't follow through on that attraction. It could get you in trouble. If you're single and it's uh, another person that you're feeling attracted to and you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to ask yourself, are they a follower of Jesus? And if they're not, I suggest you call time out because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Or we could put a whole bunch of pictures up on there and I could say to our students or I could say to any of us, is there a group of students that you're feeling pulled toward, attracted to because they're cool and you want to fit in and you really like to be a part of that? If they're not followers of Jesus, that could be a really dangerous thing for you, couldn't it? But let's move on. Maybe there's something else on your billboard. Maybe your billboard has a substance on it. Now, the Bible does not say that drinking alcohol is sin. But what it does tell us is that if it leads to drunkenness, then it becomes a sin. You and I live in a culture today where there's so much stress and so much uh, difficulty. And and we're so sensual in our very nature that people oftentimes turn to alcohol or other substances to numb their pain. To escape what's really going on in their lives. Alcoholism. You know, we know in the suburbs right now that heroin is a huge problem. Is there some substance, marijuana, pain medication, is there some substance in your life that really is attracting your attention and consuming your life? Maybe it's a a website. Maybe there's a pop-up ad you've been chasing or a website you've been dabbling with and it's pornographic. The sad truth today is that not only are men uh, addicts of porn, but we see increasingly women, young women, becoming addicts of porn as well. Is there pornography in your life? Is that on the billboard? Is that what's kind of pulling your mind and pulling your heart and pulling your attention away from God? Or maybe it's the idea that um, you can get rich real fast, you know? 
you know, materialism, the, the, the thirst for money. And, you know, that every time you see that lotto sign, you're like, oh, man, you know, if I just spend, I'm just going to spend one more dollar on this. I'm just going to buy one more lottery ticket because this could be the ticket. I just read in the news that somebody went and bought their lottery ticket. And they were told by their friends, you're wasting your money. And they won a jackpot. Did you see that in the news? They won the jackpot. That's why all of us should go out and do it. It may happen to us. And it's okay as long as you tithe. (laughs) Strike that from the record. All right? Don't put it on Facebook. Please don't play that. All right? I didn't really mean that. Okay? But that's how we justify it, isn't it? So what, you know, what's what's on your billboard right now that has your attention, has you hooked that could be really dangerous for you, that could get you really distracted. And what is it about us that gets so easily hooked? What is it about us that, that pulls us off course? Why are we so distracted and attracted to things that aren't always the best for us? And by the way, till the day Jesus comes or you die, you will always, always, always face the challenge of distractions and dangerous attractions. You'll never be totally free from it. Why? Because you are an emotional creature. It's our emotions that become distracted. It's our emotions that are drawn and attracted to things that we ought not be involved in. Now, why is it that our emotions so easily drift away from God into things that that are sensual in nature? Well, it's Valentine's, right? Valentine's is kind of a time we think about emotions. We, we talk about hearts. We give each other chocolate hearts. We draw hearts. We have cards with hearts. We have balloons with hearts. You know, the whole nine yards. Hearts everywhere, right? Well, what does the Bible tell us about our hearts? Remember this passage, Jeremiah seventeen nine. Read it aloud with me, please. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked Who really knows how bad it is? Happy Valentine's. (laughs) Right? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Why? Because of our sinful nature. So our human heart, our, our emotions are always trying to deceive us. And the way they work is they say to us, you know, if you'll chase this attraction, if we'll go after this person, if we'll go after that substance, if we'll go to that website, if we'll go for that gamble, we'll be happy ultimately. And you know what? Our emotions are good liars because initially sometimes we get the rush. It feels good. It's exciting. It gives us kind of a buzz, kind of a high you know, sexually or physically or emotionally or whatever, but then boom, comes the crash. And sometimes we take that exit and we go so far that the crash is extreme like it was in Samson's case. So the question becomes, how do I keep from following my emotions into fatal attractions? And I want to give you some some questions you kind of ask yourself, uh, ways to kind of help you discern what's A bad attraction from a good attraction. Here's the first one. Will pursuing a particular attraction cause me or cause you to violate the truth? If I take this exit, if I follow that billboard, is it going to cause me to violate what I know is God's truth, God's word? You know, we read the passage about Samson ripping open that lion and then he goes back to that carcass and he takes that honey Samson violated his vow when he did that. He wasn't supposed to come near something dead. But his emotion said, you want, you want 
that honey so bad it won't hurt. Just take it. And that's what our emotions do to us. Right now, some of you are facing a temptation. You're being attracted to someone or something and you need to ask yourself, does this person, does this website, does this substance, does this opportunity, does it support the truth? And if it doesn't support the truth, don't go there. And if you're like, well, I don't know, I'm unsure, don't go there. Unless it's like plain in your face, biblically correct and supported, don't go there. Number two, don't believe your heart when it tells you that you are strong enough to resist the consequences of flirting with a fatal attraction. Let's all read it aloud together. Don't believe your heart when it tells you that you are strong enough to resist the consequences of flirting with a fatal attraction. Don't do it. I mean, Samson ends up in the lap of Delilah, this prostitute, and she's trying to extract the secret of his strength from him. And he's playing with her. He keeps saying, it's this or it's that, or if you do this or if you do that. And then every time, she'll say, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and then he just kicks their butts. I can say that in a contemporary service, all right? And they run. Now, if I were Samson, I would have picked up the clue phone and realized that this woman isn't good for me. But Samson, the big, strong, brawny lad, you know, whom God's spirit comes upon, thinks he can play with her. But eventually she wins the day. She seduces him into divulging that secret. Listen carefully to me, especially you students. If you think that you can play with sin and get away with it, you are a fool. If you think that you can mess with sin, if you think you can flirt around the edge of somebody who does not belong in your life, someone who's not your spouse or if you're single, someone who's, who's pulling you in a direction you ought not to go, you students, especially you young ladies, who, if some guy is putting pressure on you sexually, get out of there. Run as fast as you can. You are no match. You are no match. And that's the question we have to, that we have to deal with in our lives. You know, do I, do I think that I'm strong enough? If I do, I'm fooling myself. Liar, liar. I'm not going to believe you, emotions. I am not strong enough. None of us are. I don't care if you've been a senior pastor for 100 years. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care if you you had the whole Bible memorized from Genesis to Revelation. You're not strong enough to take sin on. It will get you every time. Flee youthful lust. Flee sin. Don't mess with it. Number three. Remember, whoever or whatever attracts your attention will demand you pay attention to it. And I mean like the word pay. What does Samson have to pay for giving his attention to Delilah? It costs him his two eyes. That's a pretty high price to pay. What will it cost you? It's Valentine's. So I'll talk to the guys here. Guys, what will it cost you if you don't pay attention to your sweetheart this Valentine's? Is it worth it? What will it cost you, men, if you stop paying attention to your wife and start giving your attention to some other woman? Oh, my goodness. Think about the price you will pay for that. I hear divorce is very, very, very expensive. And the price, if you have children, that they will pay for you to do that. Is, is that, do you want to pay for that kind of attention? Sometimes you've got to ask yourself, what will it cost me to pay attention? What will it cost me if I don't pay attention attention 
number four. Is what you are attracted to going to help you get where God wants you to be? Is what you are attracted to or who you are attracted to going to help you get where God wants you to be? I remember feeling like Samson at one time in my life. Not the strong part. But I met a certain woman, a Norwegian from Minnesota. And she caught my eye. And I said to myself, she looks good, I want her. Now, if my wife, Marcia, had been the spiritual hypocrite that I was at that time in my life, we would have been really, really bad for each other. But she was much stronger in her faith and really had a passion to obey God. And you know what? If there's one person in all the world outside of our Lord Jesus Christ who's responsible for me being here today, for me seeking, trying, even though I fail at times, seeking, trying to complete this journey and be faithful to God, it is my Valentine, it is my wife. She was good for me. She was good for me. You hear what I'm trying to say? All right? She was good for me. I want to ask you students. I want you to think about your boyfriend, your girlfriend. I want you to think about the people around you right now. Are they good for you? Are they taking you to God or pulling you away from God? Think about that. Every woman that Samson encounters does not take him to God. They pull him away from God. I want you to think about that habit. I want you to think about that website. I want you to think about the things you're involved in right now. Is there anything that's pulling your attention, your affection away from Jesus? If there is, stop it. Sever it. Get out of it. Say, well, you're talking then about my spouse. I'm in a marriage and it's a marriage where things aren't going well and my spouse is pulling me away. Are you telling me to get divorced? No. But I'm telling you, you've got a battle ahead of you. You're going to have to really focus on the Lord and stay faithful. We need to pray with you and help you through our marriage ministry. Get that marriage on track for the sake of the kingdom, for your sake, your family's sake. Keep your eyes focused on the one who is waiting for you at the end of the journey. That's the last point. Keep your eyes focused on the one who is at the end of the journey. Who's waiting there for you? Who am I talking about? Jesus, right? See, all of us are on this journey. So imagine this path you're on, and you have all these billboards on the side screaming at you, wanting your attention. Don't look to the periphery. I know they're in your vision, but the way you overcome that is you look at the end of the journey, you look at the end of the path, and you see Jesus. And you say, that, I'm not going to look anywhere else. I'm just going to look at him. Hebrews 12:1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight, we could say every attraction that slows us down, especially attraction that so easily trips us up. And I love this next verse. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us or the path. We do this, say it with me, finish it with me. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. A couple of weeks ago, I had an amazing privilege. It ranks as one of the high, you know, highlights that I've had an opportunity to experience in my life. To go to uh, Denver, Colorado, through a friend uh, here who invited me to uh, actually fly 
uh, 747-400 United Airliner. Now, it was the simulator, and it's a $30 million simulator. It is an exact replica of the real cockpit. And uh, I got to sit in the captain's chair, right? And uh, I have to tell you, I was a nervous wreck. Who wants to make the news as the guy who broke the $30 million United simulator? And I knew I was going to be flying one of these beasts, all right, over to Hong Kong and then to the Philippines and back again. So I thought, you know, if the pilot gets sick or something, I need to be ready. <laughs> so I sat on the captain's side. You'll see it in the picture here. My friend on the co-pilot side. And then the, the chief instructor was behind us, okay? Now, I want to say this to all pilots here. I'm not simplifying your job, all right? I walked out of that place with even more respect for the men and women who fly our commercial and private planes all around this uh, nation and, and around the world. I mean, the stuff you guys deal with, the possibilities that you have to be ready with, the complications absolutely amazes me. But I had, I had a great experience. And I found out that taking off is not that hard. You hit the right speed, you pull back on the oak, and up you go. You can just watch your instrument panel and just keep it there. But I got to tell you something. Landing those things is a real pain. And I, I have to confess to you, I crashed. I crashed in Chicago, of all places. So these things are an exact replica of the plane. It's the same feeling, the same motion, the same noise. And that trainer with his computer can send all kinds of problems that the pilots have to take care of. It is so exact that you can walk out of that and actually go fly. The, the pilots can actually go fly a plane with people in it. It's that close a replication. And I just was not landing very well at all. It was very hard. And I wasn't messing with the other stuff. My buddy and the, the, the guy behind me, you know, the, the chief trainer, they're handling the throttle, the flaps, and all the other things. I'm just trying to bring it down. And what happened is I would, I would follow the flight director, which is this little thing in the front with crosshairs and a little box. And you're supposed to keep everything on center. And I would try to keep that. But the closer you get to the runway at 172 miles an hour, 550,000 pounds behind you, there is very small margin for adjustment. It was not good. Then I tried watching the actual runway, and a 747 is 55 feet above the ground, right? So I'm trying to watch the runway, and I'm doing really good until I'm like 300 yards out. And all of a sudden, that runway is coming at me like a meteor, and there's no time to adjust. It's not like you can pull over on a cloud and go, wait a minute, let me try this again. <laughs> then the, you know, and then I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll just try to scan the horizon. So I'll, I don't know if this happens to you when you're driving, but you know, when you look a certain direction, what happens to your wheel? It goes with you, right? So like we're heading toward the grass. We're heading toward the terminal, right? It was just not good. I was getting very discouraged. And so finally the guy behind me says, look, Dale, here's the key. And here's what I tell all my pilots. As you come in, because I was getting my approaches down, all right? He says, as you come in, as you get near that runway, look at the end of the runway. And imagine there's someone that you're very attracted to. And that, of course, would be my wife. And you know what? He was right. It worked. I would just look at the end of the runway and imagine Marsha right there. And it gave me a new perspective. It gave me a depth perception. And it allowed me to actually flare that 747. And I know it sounds like bragging, but I want you to know that I actually touched it down a couple of times and we had a safe and good landing. All because I kept my eyes at the end of the runway. I kept looking at the person at the end of the runway, it created a whole new perspective. 
The reason I shared that with you is because you're trying to land your life on a runway that when you finally stop and it stops rolling, your life is finished. You will feel as though you finished a good life. You finished the journey. You were faithful. And the only way you're going to do that is if you see Jesus at the end of the path. Jesus at the end of the runway. I want you to bow your heads to me for just a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to visualize your life as a runway. And you're bringing in the plane. That's your life. And the runway is the path of the journey you're trying to complete. I want to ask you right now, who do you see at the end of the runway? There's some of you this morning, and I know in all honesty, you're saying to me, you're saying to yourself, I don't see anybody. In fact, I don't even see a runway. I feel like I am flying in circles. I feel like I'm flying blind. I don't have a sense of direction. I don't have a sense of journey. And I'm here to tell you that today on Valentine's Day, You could have a purpose. You could have a direction if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you ready to do that today? Are you tired of flying blind? Are you tired of flying in circles? Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Then all you have to do is adjust your life to his path. You can do that by this simple prayer, which I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. And I ask that nobody leaves the room, please. I don't care if you work in the church. Don't, they'll survive without you. I want, I want to keep this a sacred space. But right now, if you're here today, you're flying in circles. You have no sense of destination. And you want to receive Christ. I'm going to ask you to do something very courageous. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you where you are to stand up. Say, why do I have to stand? Because I want you to make a commitment that you really mean. Just stand right where you are. Right where you are, stay standing for just a minute. Stay standing and pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, silently to yourself, dear Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you that I'm lost right now. My life is flying in circles. And today, oh God, I want you, I want you to be at the end of my journey. I want to fly my life to you. And so I give you my heart today on this Valentine's Day. Because, Father, you gave your heart to me when you gave your son. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I receive his forgiveness. I repent by adjusting my life to his ways. You may be seated. If you prayed that prayer this morning, listen carefully to me. When the service is over, please come to the guest center. Shake my hand and just say, I prayed that prayer. I want to pray with you personally. And I want to give you some help and encouragement on this journey. You cannot do it alone. With our eyes closed, our heads bowed for a minute, there are many of us who are followers of Jesus here this morning who, if truth be told, we've lost perspective. And you know what we're doing? We've got our eyes pulled to the left or to the right. And that billboard has our attention right now. And we're steering our lives away from a good ending. I don't know who or what it is, but right now, right now, would you just repent? Right now, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm being attracted in the wrong way. I'm willing to give him, her, it, that up. And just get your eyes back on Jesus. Would you do that right now? Right where you are, Lord, remove all the distractions. Forgive me for getting attracted to the wrong people, the wrong things. Students, pray that prayer. Lord, I just want to be focused on Jesus. I don't care if I'm the most unpopular person in the world. I don't care if I have to finish high school alone. I'm going to be focused on you. 
There's some of you here today that are tired and weary. Life has been like a big battle for you and you're discouraged. And you're thinking about just giving up the journey and the trip. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus is at the end and his arms are open. Persevere. Be faithful. Make it. Don't give up. Don't let the enemy win. You can do it by God's grace. Ask him for strength. Renew your passion to finish well. I want to give all of us an opportunity this morning to make a step of affirmation. In a moment when we sing, I'm going to ask you to stand. And right where you are, I'm going to ask you to step out. If you're in the balcony, come to the rail. If you're on the floor, come to the front. Move into the front so people have room. And when it fills up in the front, move into the aisles. But I'm going to ask you to do that as a step on the right path. I'm going to ask you to do this as an affirmation. You're saying this morning as you do that, I am going to live my life for Jesus. I am going to live my life with Jesus at the end of my path. I'm going to stay focused on him. If you're willing to do that, I think it could just seal this whole series for you and be a blessing in your life. So let's all stand together and as we sing, as God moves on you, you come and let's have a time of true worship and yielding ourselves to God's spirit. Oh Lord, we just humble ourselves before you. Some of us are standing, some are kneeling. And we ask you, oh God, to help us do what we cannot do, and that is finish this journey faithfully. Do it for us, do it through us. You know, oh God, the trials we face, the temptations that surround us. I think of my, uh, the students here, Lord, and all the challenges they face in this culture. God, we need your spirit to do it in us and through us, to keep us faithful. And God, our part is to be obedient. And today, oh Lord, we want to fix you in our eyes. We want to keep you in that center focus. And we want to strain, oh God, for the finish line. We want to finish well in this life. Thank you that you are a God who forgives. Thank you that you're a God who gives us an exit back on. Thank you uh, that you are a God who will stay with us. But Lord, help us to be faithful. And I pray, O oh Lord, that in this crazy world we live in right now, that you would raise up a group of men and women and students in this church, in this Compass Church, who will not only take the journey themselves, but will become a compass, showing people that there is hope in life, that there's a purpose in life, that there's a God who's real. And Lord, as we align our lives to you, we ask you to pour out your blessings upon us and enable us, O oh God, to truly make a difference in the world that's around us. Lord, I pray for your anointing on these men and these women and these students. I pray that you'd pour out your spirit as like in Pentecost. And God, that you would begin a fresh stirring in this place and through this place that will change our world for the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God loves you. He gave you his valentine when he gave you his son. Amen. Enjoy him. Celebrate him. If you'd like to stay up here and have our prayer partners pray with you, you can stay at the front. They'll make their way up here. If you're a guest, come see me. If you made Jesus your Savior today, I want to meet you. Happy Valentine's. God bless you.